Hello and welcome to the Art of Will Building podcast, episode number 27, part 3. Today we continue discussing how to invent culture. This includes greetings, farewells, language issues, and more. This material and more is discussed in chapter 1 of Cultures and Beyond, volume 3 in the Art of Will Building book series. Do you want practical advice on how to build better worlds faster and have more fun doing it? The Art of Will Building book series, website, blog, and podcast will make your worlds beat the competition. This is your host, Randy Ellefson, and I have 30 years of world building advice, tips, and tricks to share. Follow along now at artofworldbuilding.com. Before we get started, I want to mention that you can buy transcripts of these episodes from artofworldbuilding.com or amazon.com. With world building, we are always trying to figure out what to do and what to skip. And one of the most useful things we can do when it comes to creating cultures is creating greetings and farewells because these are things that characters will actually say to each other. If a work is a TV show and it happens repeatedly, sometimes fans of those shows will actually say these greetings to each other. An example would be saying namaste from the TV show Lost. In Game of Thrones, people often say seven blessings. Sometimes these expressions become popular enough that they enter into the common language that we often use. So this is one area that I do not recommend skipping. Greetings and farewells will exist in virtually every culture. The only exception I can think of is a culture that is so barbaric that they haven't even evolved to that point yet. Even then, they are likely to at least grunt at each other. It's worth noting that even animals will make recognition of another animal, especially those of their species. One reason for that is rivalry, especially among males for females. So yes, at the very least, the greetings will exist. The farewells, maybe not quite as much. And if you think about it, today we do make a bigger deal out of greeting someone, but often when we are saying farewell, we may not say anything. We might just give a nod. We might even just turn and walk away. It depends on how casual the setting is. One reason that greetings may be more prominent is that they really set the tone for the coming interaction. This is something to keep in mind. If we have already come up with our cultural vision, and that vision includes being very respectful to people, then the greeting is also going to be probably more formal and, of course, respectful. On the other hand, if the cultural vision is very casual, then we might end up with a very casual greeting, like, hey, what's up? For both greetings and farewells, a general tip is to keep them brief. I remember watching Game of Thrones, and it would take something like 30 seconds for all of Daenerys' titles to be read off by the end. The first few times it was okay, but as this continued, the greetings just started to grate on my nerves as someone in the audience who just wanted to to be over with because I'd already heard all of them before. These technically weren't greetings, but it's the same idea. Keep them short. Another reason for brevity is that a greeting is not exactly the heart of the conversation, now is it? We have much more important things that our characters need to say to each other. The case can be made that one of the most useful reasons for a greeting is to show culture, but another is to show that someone does it poorly or skips it and causes a minor offense to another person. When we're inventing greetings and farewells, we probably want multiple versions of these. The reason for this is that some settings are formal and some of them are very casual and others are somewhere in between. For example, in English we have hello, hi, hey, yo, and then stuff like what's up, which can even be shortened to sup. That's a lot, so we don't really need to go that far, but I would recommend at least two, maybe three of them. It can be easier to start with the most formal and then try to come up with shorter versions of it. One reason for this is that adults are usually the ones who come up with the way someone should be greeted, and then younger people tend to shorten things out of laziness. 
I doubt an adult over the age of 30 came up with, what's up? Very casual greetings like that can apply to a social group within the larger structure of a settlement, region, or sovereign power. One way of looking at this is that the more formal greetings might be more widespread and universal almost, and then these more casual versions might be applied to one group or another. Typically, the casual versions originate with one group, and then they sometimes catch on and spread to the wider population. This brings up a point that these more casual versions are often a kind of bonding mechanism and a way for peers within that social group to recognize each other. In addition to this social aspect, greetings sometimes have a practical origin. For example, the handshake originated from each person trying to show that they did not have a weapon. Sometimes people had a knife or a dagger hidden up their sleeve, and the shaking of the arm was supposed to cause that to come loose. Another version of this is each person grabbing the other person by the upper arm because, of course, you would feel the blade within there. Knowing the origins of a few of these helps us think of other versions, especially if we have a different kind of weapon in our world. We'll talk a lot more about the physical gestures in a few minutes, but let's focus on the words first. As we all know, in any greeting there is typically a word that basically means hello. The words often include some sort of wishing pleasant times upon that person, and some examples of that would be something like good morning or live long and prosper from Star Trek. Technically, the latter one is a farewell. Another thing often included in greetings is some sort of inquiry as to how well they are doing, such as how are you? You may remember in the U.S. there was a commercial running a few years ago where a guy would walk into a bar or some other casual scenario and someone would say, hi, how are you? And instead of just letting that pass because it's a rhetorical question, he would actually give a really long answer to this. And so the point I'm getting at there is that this is often a rhetorical question. You're not necessarily supposed to answer it. This would be an easy way to do a culture clash where someone from one culture doesn't realize it's rhetorical and does give an answer, just like the guy in that commercial. Greetings can sometimes include some statement about how happy we are to see them, such as, pleased to meet you. And then sometimes there's a title like Sir or Lord or Mr. Smith, or even a really formal one like Grandmaster of the Seven Realms. In some cultures, we may introduce ourselves first before asking the other person's name or vice versa. And then using your given name or your first name, as we call it in the United States, is less formal than using the surname or last name. So when we are trying to come up with the words that people say, these are all elements that we can mix and match to come up with their greetings and farewells. To some extent, the cultural vision that we have developed for this culture may not have too much of an impact because there are a lot of universal elements, like the ones I just listed, that are incorporated into greetings. But if we do have a cultural vision, it's certainly very helpful to leverage that if we can when doing this. A final remark about the words is that sometimes a profession, like being a swordsman, may have something to do with what is said. For example, I might say, may your sword never break, or may your bowstring never snap if you're an archer. If you're someone who does scouting for the military looking for dangers, maybe something to say to that person is, many settings, as in may you see many things that are worth reporting on. When people belong to a specific social group, we should have already defined what makes that social group exist in the first place, and we can leverage that to come up with these greetings and farewells. If you're looking for more world-building resources, artofworldbuilding.com has most of what you need. This includes more podcasts like this one, and free transcripts if you'd prefer to read an episode. You can also find more information on all three volumes of the Art of Worldbuilding series, which is available in ebook, print, and audiobook formats. Much of the content of those books is available on the website for free. 
You can also join the mailing list at artofwillbuilding.com slash newsletter. This gets you free reusable templates from each published volume in the series. You don't even need to buy the books to get these. I also send out contest information, free tips, and other stuff to help with your efforts. Please note that I do not share your email address with anyone because that's against my privacy policy, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Sign up today to get your free content and take your will building to the next level. Let's start talking about physical gestures. Now, the words are almost mandatory in that we almost always say something. It's a little bit less common for us to only make the gesture unless we are far enough away from the other person that they wouldn't hear the words anyway. In other words, unless the situation prevents it, words are typically expected, but physical gestures are a little bit more optional. Or at least, that's how it is in the United States. In another culture like Japan, something like the bow might be required, and skipping that is going to be the thing that gets you into trouble. This is an important distinction to make. In some cultures, one thing might be expected a lot more than the other. But in the United States, we can really interchange the uh, physical gestures with the words. So we can do one, the other, or both. And of course, in some cases, we can do neither. Which one of these is more prominent in your setting? When it comes to these gestures, one thing to keep in mind is that throughout human history, we have had a different sense of the spreading of germs than at other times. Today, we're very familiar with this, but even 200 years ago, we didn't have any idea about a lot of this. A culture that is not well informed about the spreading of disease might be one that is doing more physical intimacy, such as kisses on the cheek. A culture that is more aware of how sickness can be spread might have greetings that have physical gestures with more separation between the parties, such as a bow. It's worth noting that in science fiction, where there is space travel between worlds, the pathogens are going to be completely different, and no one is going to have immunity from a pathogen that exists on another planet. Of course, our characters are usually wearing a spacesuit of some kind. In a show like Star Trek, this is one of the things that they kind of gloss over the same way they gloss over people not understanding a foreign language. The Universal Translator took care of that problem, and there seems to be this implication that the doctor on the ship has some sort of uh, immunization that he can just easily give to everyone, so that sickness has been largely eliminated from science fiction. Either that, or if someone catches something, it's relatively minor like the common cold. What we don't usually see, because it's pretty dramatic, is something like what happened when the British arrived on uh, the shores of North America, and the other countries like Spain and France also did this, and all sorts of pathogens infected the American Indians and wiped out a lot of them. As a side note, in science fiction, if a, an alien culture really wanted to just wipe out the Earth, all they would have to do is release a pathogen that we have no immunity to. They don't need to show up with all these spaceships. Writers probably ignore that most of the time because it would make every sci-fi alien show the same when it comes to aliens discovering the planet. Despite all of this, physical interactions are often part of any sort of greeting or farewell, and that includes the handshake and its variations. One thing we may want to avoid is the actual handshake that takes place on Earth. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is so Earth-like that it's just going to remind people of here. So we can do some variations on this, like interlacing the fingers. And then, of course, there's the fist bump that was popular for a while here. And then we can use two hands, or we can grasp someone by the forearm, the bicep, or do this kind of shoulder clasp where you put your hand on their shoulder. With some of these, we can actually keep the handshake itself, such as if I use my right hand to shake your hand, and then I put my left hand on your shoulder at the same time. You, of course, would be doing the same thing to me. 
Then again, maybe you wouldn't be. If I'm a man and you're a woman, maybe you don't do part of this. Or if I am subordinate to you, maybe I do not put my hand on your shoulder, but you do it on mine, almost like you're some sort of father figure. The point here is that both people do not have to do the exact same thing. This is true of everything, not just the handshake. There are some other details from Earth that we can manipulate. For example, these are typically done barehanded here. Not removing something like a glove could therefore be considered disrespectful. We should always be on the lookout for ways that we can make someone screw these up so that they offend somebody. Don't just invent how it's done right, but make a note about how it can be done wrong and what that typically means to people. Sometimes one gender is expected to make the gesture first, but we can change this and have older people be the one expected to do it. That seems to suggest that those with higher social standing do it, so maybe it's not age, but something else. Children are often not expected to do it the same way, or they're cut some slack for not getting it right. They may have their own greetings. Another issue that comes up is the strength of the grip, where some people use a weak one, some people do a strong one, and for some people it's in between. Some people place a lot of importance on this, and I have had the experience where some guy has essentially crushed my hand in his because he's trying to make a point about how strong he is, but that can actually be considered rude when it actually hurts, and that has happened to me, where I have felt some disrespect for this guy for crushing my hand. So that's one way that this can go wrong. Too much or not enough force. Sometimes these gestures can also go on for too long. There was an infamous video, probably several of them, of Donald Trump shaking someone's hand and essentially refusing to let go. When something like this happens, it becomes awkward for the other person and anyone who is watching it. This social aspect is important because we can be judged not only by the person that we're greeting, but by anyone else who witnesses what we do. As a result, there can sometimes be a lot of pressure on how we go about these, and that's especially true if we are doing something like greeting royalty. Most of us won't have the chance to do that, but our characters, in theory, if they are traveling and they're going to save the world, they're going to be running into some very important people. If they're going to a specific kingdom to ask for help from the people who are in charge of that kingdom, then instead of just having everything go smoothly, one of the ways we can have it go wrong for them is for them to screw up the initial introductions. This is both simple and believable. Either with a handshake or without it, another version is the kiss. Doing this on the lips is of course considered very intimate, so most of the time we might kiss the top of someone's hand, for example, or one or both cheeks. If we've invented a species that has something like really sensitive ears, then maybe kissing them on the ears is considered going too far. Once again, we should figure out how long this is supposed to be so that we can decide when people mess this up. Even without kissing on the lips, it's still pretty intimate to get your face that close to someone else's where you're kissing them on the cheek. Now, if we're going to have greetings like that, maybe the culture also prizes something like cleanliness and not having something like body odor because it might be a little bit more uncomfortable if you're a little disgusted by that person, but you have to go through with this kind of greeting. If people in one culture or from another species have a different sense of how much cleanliness is appropriate, then this is another way to cause a kind of conflict. This is one of the funny things about greetings because the whole point is to make sure that our interaction goes well and that's what we're hoping for, and yet it can go wrong right from the start. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review the show at artofworldbuilding.com slash review. Reviews really are critical to encouraging more people to listen to a show they haven't heard of before, and it can also help the show rank better, allowing more people to discover it. Again, that URL is artofworldbuilding.com slash review. 
For most of us, bowing seems like one of the more formal ways to greet someone. Naturally, our barbarians are not going to be doing this one. Or are they? It's a way of showing respect. The degree of the bow also correlates to how much respect is being shown. Generally, the deeper the motion, the more respect. Similar to the bow is the kneel, where we get down on one or both knees. What both of these have in common is how long you stay down. Maybe the motion is quick, or it's slow, and maybe you have to stay in that position until you are released by the person to whom you are bowing. In all cases, we should decide how touchy the culture is about how well this bow is performed. Then there's the salute, which we mostly associate with the military, but can exist in other scenarios. The number of fingers used is something that we can vary. We can vary the position of the fingers as well, such as having them be straight or having them curved so that they touch the thumb, for example. This is another area where Googling this can give you more ideas as you see variations that exist here on Earth. One anecdote that I picked up when I researched this is that in Poland, they used two fingers, just like the Cub Scouts, and this led to the U.S. troops assuming that the Polish were being disrespectful to them. How far did this go? Well, the Polish troops were actually arrested until the misunderstanding was cleared up. That seems a little excessive because it is, but we can do the same kind of thing to get our characters in trouble. In some places, the salute is only done when a hat is worn, and other places it's only done when inside. If you've seen any war movies about Vietnam, you know that officers were often saluted by others, but sometimes they, other people were told not to do that because it essentially identified an officer who could be then targeted by a sniper. So a practical situation can lead to variations. We can also have the palm facing downward, outward, or inward. Upward could be an option, but it's kind of hard to pull that one off all the way. We can also close the hand altogether, such as when we make a fist. These variations should give you some ideas on ways that we can make variations of our own. If you're wondering about the origins of the salute, it is believed that knights used to raise their visor to identify themselves and also show that they were not afraid of their opponent. Most of the gestures we just described are somewhat formal, so there are other versions like the casual wave that we give to people. Sometimes we just smile or nod our head at someone or maybe even raise our eyebrows. Generally, we want to acknowledge the other person. Just decide on two of these, the formal one and the informal. If you'd like to learn world building skills through instruction, I've launched World Building University. There you can find one free course you can take just by signing up, which has no obligation. Other courses are in development and some are available now. You can preview parts of every course, all of which include video lessons, quizzes, assignments, and sometimes downloadable templates that are even better than those found in the books. To get your first free course, just go to worldbuilding.university. Let's talk about language. According to many, the way we speak carries as much meaning, if not more so, than the words we actually say. One of the problems with email is that it doesn't carry tone as accurately as the human voice. It is therefore easier to get ourselves into trouble and have a misunderstanding or misinterpretation of what we've said or our intent when we use the written word versus when we speak. This is not to say that people get things right just when they hear us speaking, but it's a little easier. Many of us take tone for granted, but what we want to focus on with world building is not the tone with which a specific person says something, but what sort of tone the culture in general uses. For example, are they eloquent or very casual? Eloquent language has a tendency to be wordy and have longer words in them. Casual has shorter sentences and shorter words. 
When we think of elves in fantasy, they often come across as being very eloquent, even though we can't understand a word they say. This is partly the language that Tolkien created for them, at least in The Lord of the Rings. But other races, such as the Klingons in Star Trek, have a very harsh and guttural sound to them. So do the Dothraki from Game of Thrones. Even if we can't understand a word of the language they say, the tone of it comes across. When we characterize this, we may want to think of a relatively neutral audience like ourselves and how we would view these languages. It is from that vantage point that I would say that Dothraki is harsh and Elven is eloquent. But an elf would not only think that Dothraki or Klingon is harsh if they were in the same fictional universe, but they would probably think that something like English is harsh. This can be an important distinction to make in your notes. Or we can just make a kind of general note to ourselves as a reminder that something like elves think all other languages are kind of harsh, and only that certain ones are especially so. We could have an elf say something like, your language is so ugly, but at least it's not as bad as Klingon. One thing about tone is that we judge people based on this tone. And one thing that can mean for us is that we can characterize a whole species or a culture within that species just on their tone. If you'd like to subscribe to this free, downloadable podcast, here's how to do it. For iPhone, iPad, and iPod listeners, grab your device and go to the iTunes Store. Then search for The Art of World Building. From there, download the free podcast app by Apple, and then subscribe to the show from within that app. For Android listeners, you can download the Stitcher Radio app, which is also free, and search for The Art of World Building. This only needs to be done once, because new episodes will become available in the app each time one is released, and you will never miss an episode. Within language, we should also pay attention to slang and expressions. Most listeners of this podcast have probably seen Star Trek and heard a certain amount of the techno babble, but that's not really what I mean. We need curse words and related expressions. When I watched Game of Thrones, it bothered me for a while when people would drop the F-bomb, not because the word itself bothered me, but because it reminded me too much of Earth. This may be one reason why Battlestar Galactica went with the infamous frack instead. Of course, that can also be jarring because you realize how they're using it and that they're just still reminding you of Earth even though they've changed it. If memory serves, they did that partly to get around censorship. At this point, the F-bomb is so universal that we can go ahead and use that the same way we can use various words for excrement. These are bound to exist in every language, and these one-word swears are very convenient to use. It's important to note that some words can be a benign word in one language and something offensive in another. For example, in the U.S., the word bloody doesn't mean anything in particular, but it does in England. If I say that this bloody car won't start in England, that's the same as saying this effing car won't start in the United States. On the other hand, if I say I'm not going to pick up that bloody knife, in that context, the word doesn't mean anything like that. This is one way that we can take an ordinary word, like an adjective, and apply it to another scenario where it becomes offensive. A good way to make our swear words stand out is to combine words, and we've done this on Earth. Two examples would be dumbass and bullshit. There are many others that I won't repeat here to keep this more PG. But one way we can do this in our setting is if we have invented an animal, then we can replace some of these, like the bullshit version, with some other animal, and then the word for excrement. Why do we choose a bull? Well, it sounds good to say bullshit, but a bull is also supposed to be a very strong animal. In theory, that would suggest that its excrement is especially nasty. 
Maybe in a fantasy world we would say dragon piss. All we really need is something objectionable, including parts of the body. This is why anything involving your butt is considered bad. If we have an animal with an especially nasty horn, then we can use that horn plus something else to come up with a name. If the species is called Jack, then maybe we say Jackhorn, and that is the same as Jackass. Maybe it suggests that you're going to get speared by one of these because you're the sort of person who deserves it. Expressions can be a little harder to invent. Two of the ones we need are ways of saying that we agree with someone or disagree. If I think you're wrong, maybe I just say you're wrong, but maybe I use the expression, you're full of crap. In the US, when we agree, we say things like, okay, sounds good, alright, yeah, and right. And we all know what a pirate says. And pirate seems like a good place to stop. In the next episode, we will complete our talk about inventing culture. All of the show's music is actually courtesy of yours truly, as I'm also a musician. The theme song is the title track for my Some Things Are Better Left Unsaid album. But now we're closing out with La Grama from The Lost Art. You can hear more at randyellison.com. Check out outofworldbuilding.com for free templates to help with your worldbuilding. And please rate and review the show on iTunes. Thanks for listening.